Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Leslie Masland, and this is Labor History Talks, a caucus of SEIU 221, where members of various unions share momentous labor move movement moments, new and old, on local, national, and global levels. Today, we have UAW Local 2865 discussing the University of California academic worker strike and an update from Cassidy Miller, and a strike line organizer for HarperCollins Union, who just today returned to work after several months of striking. So Zach and Adam, if you're ready, take it away. Awesome, thank you uh, so much for having us. We're thrilled to be here. Um, we'll just introduce ourselves real quick. Uh, my name is Zach Goldberg. I'm a PhD student at UCSD in the biology department. Um, and I've been organizing with my academic workers union for about three years. Adam? Yeah, I'm Adam Caparco. Uh, I'm a postdoc at UCSD, which means uh, I'm in the holding pen between grad student and professor, basically. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've been organizing with our union since I arrived at UCSD two years ago. Great. Um, so I thought we would just kind of start things off uh, by showing a quick video. It's about two minutes uh, that just kind of recaps uh, the strike that we just went on with 48,000 workers in the fall. Um, and then we have some slides to show you and then we'll uh, kind of open it up for discussion. So let me see if I can share my screen. Um, can I get permission to do that? Yes. Let's see. And sorry, was Zach that needed permission? Yes. Okay. Oh, 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 I don't know that I have permission to give permission. Uh, let me um, let me text Elisa because um, she's in a works that need maybe she can get in and give us permission for okay. that I guess meanwhile whatever else makes sense but I'll text Elisa okay yeah it doesn't look like I have permission to do that um, while yeah well, maybe Cassie do you want to go first I don't know if you have slides or not and then hopefully we can figure this out Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Hi, sorry, um, I'm in the car, so I wasn't sure if you would be able to. No, no slides. Um, I just had a quick update and then I just wanted to listen to the rest of the talk and then probably go into full detail next month, if that's okay. Um, we just returned to work today after three months on strike. Um, I'm with the HarperCollins Union, which is out of New York, the local UAW 2110. Um, and yeah, we. We were on strike for three months, which was way longer than we expected to be. Um, but we did end up, end up getting a fair contract that we're really happy with and that we consider a victory for increased wages and um, a joint labor management diversity committee um, to help with a lot of the issues within publishing. And then also um, some union rights that we feel really strongly about.
Great. I did just see that there was an update on Instagram um, of your a few details from your contract. Um, looks like a really solid contract. So many congratulations to you. Um, I know that was very um, hard fought. Um, how did it feel going back to work after so long? Um, yeah, definitely very hard fought. Um, I wasn't on the bargaining committee, but I know that the the my fellow workers that were, um, they said it almost felt like going up against like cartoon villains because um, it was these lawyers from News Corp um, who basically union bus for a living. Um, going back to work was kind of surreal. Uh, my bosses were actually really great. And um, my first call with my boss this morning, she actually thanked me and thanked us for kind of changing publishing for generations, which that felt really emotional. Um, but it was also really overwhelming one because I had thousands of emails to get to um, and just like upcoming events and things that I have to prepare for. Um, yeah. All right. Does anybody have any questions for Cassidy while we're sorting things out? Jarrell, you have a um, question? You have a, your hand up? So yes, actually it was for all three of them. And going through this experience for three months, which you did not anticipate doing, um, did you ever pick up or try to try to get an answer from them as to why they was being so stubborn um, towards you all that really hold, hold everything together um, to make each department run well. Um, did, was there any logic behind them giving you all such a hard time and have not in the past years really supported their support? Um, you all are struggling, starving students coming close to the end in, of, of your education before you get out there and they're not really giving you, they were not really giving you any support. Did you ever get an understanding of, uh, uh, somewhat of an understanding of why they were so harsh? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to try to answer and Cassidy and Adam, feel free to chime in. Um, I mean, I guess I see it you know, I think to me, I guess it's, it's, it's a little straightforward. Like they just don't want to pay us more, right? It costs them money. Um, they don't want to give us respect and dignity at work because they are scared of how much more we might realize we could demand in the future, right? If we like kind of realize our own power. Um, and so that was kind of my experience. It was first of all, like, UC is a $40 billion a year institution, and yet somehow none of the money that comes in actually goes to the workers who need it. Um, it goes into real estate acquisitions and construction projects and, um, you know, basically the giant hedge fund that is like the UC's investments. Um, and it's not, you know, the joke is that like it's a, it's a hedge fund and a real estate developer that happens to hold some classes. Um, and so, you know, they, we were trying to take power away from them, right? And build power for ourselves and demand more. And that's power they didn't want to give up. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously a very different kind of um, organization and industry, but um, pretty much the same is that they didn't want to pay us more and they didn't want to, I think some of it is they didn't want to set a precedent for um, respecting their workers in the way that we wanted and know that we deserve to be respected. Um, I, you know, they never really told us or we never really got a clear idea of why it took so long. Um, our impression is that they were kind of just waiting for us to burn out, um, for waiting for us to get tired. Um, but we knew that was never going to happen. You know, we being on the picket line, physically exhausting, emotionally draining, but it was also fun at times and we got to know each other really well. And I've never felt so close to my colleagues. Um, and so, you know, we were going to keep going as long as it took. And um, a huge part that helped us were the people that were not eligible for the union and were still working. And they really were had a strong show of support. And I think that helped finally come to a conclusion because there was whispers of them doing some kind of walkout or something like that. That would have um, even more hurt the company's current business. Well, you all did an awesome job. Um, I commend you to, to the fact that you all hung in there for those three months and and let and and they finally felt the impact of you not being there on your job. So um, once again, thank you for spending the evening with us and, and sharing your experience um, and know that our hearts uh, were there with you all um, and understanding what you were going through. Thank you. All right, so it seems like I have the power now. I have transferred some of that to Zach. Yep. Slides should be <laughs> imminent. Thank you everyone for your patience tonight. We are this many years in and we're all still learning uh, how to use it. So <laughs> definitely relate. Um, yeah, Cass, is there anything else you want to say to finish up or we're, we're happy to get started? Uh, no, no, that's it. I mean, um, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about your experience too. So yeah, I'm done. Great. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, um, let me just share my screen. We'll watch a little quick video and then we'll uh, kind of uh, talk in a little bit more detail about what went on at the University of California in the fall. All right. So can everyone see the video? Excellent. Yes. Uh, we can't hear it though, Zach. I feel like I've troubleshooted this problem before, but I forget how. <laughs> okay, tell me if you can hear the video now. Yes. Great. The strike was years in the making, 
It took deep organizing to prepare for a mass participation strike against one of the state's largest employers. When student workers began unionizing in the 1980s, the university was hellbent on dividing us and denying us rights as workers. They excluded student researchers from UAW 2865, but we continued to organize. We organized supermajority support for Student Researchers United. Our supermajority strike authorization vote compelled the university to recognize our union and start bargaining with us. Postdocs had already been bargaining at that point, but our bargaining power became much stronger once all four units of academic workers were negotiating contracts at the same time. If we hadn't developed organizing committees at the department level, the campus level, and the state level, we wouldn't have been able to pull off a strike of this scale. We fought our demands through escalating actions throughout all of 2022. When the strike started and everyone was chanting, Union power! We got to really feel what that means. To finally see that actually in action on the picket line, it's really energizing, because that is what a union is, mass participation by workers. As the first postdoc strike in the country, we showed the power of withholding our research. And since student researchers were striking with us, they couldn't be forced to pick up our labor. Entire labs and research buildings were left empty. The solidarity we received from students, from faculty, and other unions was critical to the success of our strike. We made our struggle broad and visible, and the community responded with the support that we needed. Support from our union siblings across the UAW was crucial. And as I see it, we're building on the legacy of the militant sit-down strikes that UAW workers trailblazed decades ago. Because of our strike, we are now some of the highest paid academic workers in the country. We brought UC from the low end of the pay scale to the top. We also won new measures that will improve racial equity and gender equity. For instance, drastically expanding our parental leave, immigration leaves, job security, and groundbreaking protections against bullying. I know a lot of us can't wait to continue building on the momentum of this strike and to strengthen our union and the California labor movement as a whole. Awesome, let me share slides real quick. Hopefully that gave you a nice little introduction um, to what we wanna talk about. Give me one sec. Yeah, that was really fun to watch. Excited all over again, exactly. Um, all right, so um, I'll start it off and then you know, me and Adam will just kind of bounce back and forth. Um, so yeah, so whoops, getting ahead of myself. Okay, uh, so yeah, like I said, um, we are members of uh, academic uh, workers unions uh, at University of California. So there are actually 48,000 total UAW uh, academic workers at the University of California. And we're kind of broken up into three units. Um, we have about 19,000 teaching assistants uh, and that also includes readers and tutors. Um, and we have about 12,000 postdocs and academic researchers. It's a lot of jargon. Don't, don't worry too much about it. A lot of academics speak. Um, about 12,000 postdocs like Adam, who are, you know, uh, they have their PhDs, but now they're researchers in labs, but they're not faculty yet. Um, and then there are about 17,000 of us that are student researchers. And that means that we're graduate students who uh, do research in laboratories. So altogether about 48,000 UAW workers at the University of California, and we all went on strike together. And uh, so a lot went into preparing our strike. This was years in the making. I got I started grad school in 2019 in the fall, and I've been pretty much organizing since then. And even then, when I got involved, everyone was already talking about the strike in 2022. 
Um, and so this was something that had been planned going back as far as 2018. Last, we won our uh, last contracts and immediately work began to prepare this massive strike. Uh, last contract negotiations, uh, we didn't have a lot of power. We didn't have a very credible strike threat. Um, and so immediately after settling those contracts, we started to look forward to what we could accomplish and what it would take to get a mass majority uh, strike that could really win us a lot. Um, and so, you know, we'll, all, we'll, me and Adam will talk about this over and over again over the next, you know, half hour is one, one-to-one -one organizing. That is absolutely our bread and butter. Uh, that is how we win, right? That's how we get things done is one-to-one -one organizing. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but basically that means like whole worker deep organizing, forming relationships, having one-on-one -on -one conversations, not kind of relying on just mass communication to do the job, but really making sure that we have organizers on the ground in every department in every building across all 10 UC campuses um, to make sure that every single worker has talked face to face with one of us one on one, you know, with an organizer one on one um, about striking about the union. Um, something that was really tricky is that we had to coordinate our contract expirations between these three units, we knew that we would have the most power um, if we all went on strike together. Uh, versus just TAs or just grad researchers or just postdoc researchers. Um, we knew that we would win the most if we were all on strike together, right? Um, and so there was a little bit of finessing that Adam can talk more about um, to line that all up, line up the contract expirations and all actually be ready to strike at the same time. We also coordinated bargaining. We demanded identical language between all three units on, um, a, or all four units actually, if you count uh, academic researchers. Um, so all the units we demanded, you know, uh, equal uh, ex um, identical language on things like protections from harassment, and discrimination, uh, parking and transit, um, a bunch of other issues that apply to all of us that aren't just wages, right? We we made sure that we were coordinating our efforts together. We were making uh, we were making coordinated demands. Um, and we had a massive strike authorization vote with huge participation. Um, you know, I think a supermajority of those 48,000 workers voted in the SAV. Something like 98% of the people who voted voted yes. We had this massive two week just frenzy of organizing to get people to vote in our strike authorization vote. We worked really hard to recruit strike captains um, to make sure that we are organizing infrastructure that was so successful building up to the strike. Um, was still part of the strike once it began to make sure that I think we aimed for each strike captain uh, to be an organizer for about 10 workers, right? And so we, we needed about 10% of the unit to uh, step up and be an organizer and be a strike captain so that we could quickly talk to everyone, that we could hold each other accountable, that we could make plans and we could communicate effectively. Um, and then our last big thing before we actually went on strike, you know, after this four year long campaign, um, was we held a mass membership rally on every campus simultaneously on the same night um, at the end of our strike authorization vote uh, to kind of show uh, both the UC and each other how ready that we uh, we were to strike. Um, Adam, you want to talk about escalation? Sure. Yeah. So uh, ideally, I guess every action we take should increase our participation and intensity, right? So you don't want to start with the biggest thing and then have it seem like it tapers off. Uh, you want to build a sense of escalation, not only to kind of intimidate the employer, but also to like hype up your own people. Uh, and so this kind of takes uh, form in like getting super majority of your members to sign cards. And then throughout bargaining, we did have thousands of workers complete bargaining surveys uh, and participate in our ratification. Um, 
or ratifying those demands, uh, the initial bargaining demands before bargaining. And then uh, we had things like in the initial bargaining demands, we had uh, language around wanting housing support because uh, we know graduate student workers in particular were very subjected to limited housing provided by UC. And if they did not get lucky enough to get in those slots, then they were subjected to the crazy rent market surrounding those campuses and were severely rent burdened uh, due to that. So as an example, we had direct actions during bargaining, such as uh, housing rallies, where we like actually did some uh, some uh, CD out in the street, which was fun. Uh, we took over some intersections. Uh, yeah, so things like that throughout the contract campaign kind of showed the UC that we were serious. And those also served as power tests for ourselves, right? To let us know how many people we could turn out and how we were doing with our organizing structure. And then once it was finally nearing the end of bargaining, uh, we did have a supermajority strike vote to show the employer that people were ready. And actually, uh, right before the uh, strike authorization vote that we had in the fall, we had a big October membership meeting on every campus as well. And uh, I think that really, you felt the tone shift on the campuses. Uh, you felt everyone was kind of like, oh, like, is this strike even really going to happen before that? And as soon as we had those meetings, like people who were really on the fence or apprehensive were committed to what was going to happen and wanted to get more involved. So that was really a powerful moment for us. And then uh, we did have the majority strike. And so uh, during the strike, we all announced it together. Uh, and then we continued to bargain throughout the strike. It was an open-ended strike. And uh, Throughout that, I, the postdoctoral researchers and academic researchers uh, were on strike for three weeks plus one week of ratification. And then I forget how many weeks the grads were on strike. <laughs> it was like and seven. Up, yeah, ended up being like six weeks plus a week to ratify. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that whole narrative, uh, postdocs started bargaining uh, 19 months before we ratified. So it was uh, quite a long process to ramp up. We actually had two different SAVs during that because the student researchers were not recognized as a union yet uh, when postdocs started bargaining, which I think we will cover in a future slide. But just, yeah, it was an extremely long process building up uh, the intensity of this campaign. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, you know, as it says at the very beginning, like, the first step to any of this was just having supermajority membership in our union, right? And so, you know, we couldn't have done any of this without membership, without really high density membership on every campus. Um, you know, kind of when we were having our conversations, our organizing conversations with our coworkers, and, you know, we still do this, um, you know, these are our three magic answers that we use um, that, you know, between these three can pretty much answer almost any question that workers have about their union. Um, you know, the union is us, we are the union. There's no third party, there's no outside forces directing things, it's just workers coming together collectively. Um, you know, a union means power in numbers, means more rights, right? More power from more numbers, um, and that we're part of a mass movement. It's not just us at UCSD, it's not just us at the University of California as a whole statewide, uh, but it's the entire UAW and the entire labor movement, right? That we're part of a mass movement, we're not alone. Um, and so these were three things that really helped us when we talked to people uh, to mobilize them to strike. Um, so my uh, one of my unions, so uh, I'm a student researcher. I'm in that that category of uh, grad students who work in labs. 
I don't teach most of the time. And we actually didn't have a, a union at all before this strike. Um, and so there was a pretty much 30 year battle to establish the student researcher uh, union. Um, and the university fought us in court in the late 90s, early 2000s to exclude us from the TA union, which is being formed at the time. It took a state law uh, in 2018 to pass to allow us to unionize, right? And so I think that's a good lesson and that, you know, the labor movement is more than just your local. It's more than, it's also like legislation. It's also, right? So there are all these other pieces that had to come together to allow this to happen. And, uh, you know, over the last two years, me as a student researcher, we went through this entire roadmap to build our union from scratch, right? And to join our uh, coworkers who are teachers and postdoc researchers um, to actually form our union. And like I was saying, um, it took, and like Adam was saying, it took a lot of work to coordinate uh, our contract timelines and our bargaining so that this fall, uh, which we were always eyeing as a potential strike date, um, you know, that we were already to strike, right? Which meant that not only were we out of, all out of contract, but that we were all had uh, bargained for long enough that we felt like we wouldn't have to horse trade once the strike started, right? We wouldn't be trading smaller issues for larger economic ones. Um, we had a lot of things off the table in all four units. Um, and so that became really important. Yeah, Adam? I wanted to add uh, on that slide, maybe. Uh, so we also, it was important that this was a ULP strike and not a economic strike uh, for strategy reasons. So you would think that that would be maybe difficult to get a ULP across four different bargaining units, but actually the University of California is a, a big fan of refusing to bargain over a lot of different topics. So it was not that hard. They also illegally surveyed members and things like that. So uh, we did manage to get ULPs across all four units as well. And I would add the strategy here for the postdocs, since we were so far back, was actually um, we kind of test drove a lot of the language and a lot of the university's talking points around some of the language for the other units, right? Because if they agreed to it for us, it was more likely that we could work it out uh, with the other units. But even still, like with the idea that we might have had to slow walk, they were actually slow at negotiating in general. There was not a lot of progress. We spent almost an entire three month saga of this just talking about uh, like management rights without making any progress. So I know there were similar struggles for the student researchers as well. But if if there's ever a moment where multiple units want to line up, you can, there are many ways to make bargaining uh, timelines expand, I, I would say. Yeah. And um, so again, this is specific student researchers, but the strategy uh, generalizes to all four of our units, right? How did we win? We won through one-on-one -on -one organizing in departments, campus, and statewide structures. Uh, we escalated through organizing vehicles, like petitions, rallies, resolutions, uh, really big disruptive actions. Like Adam said, we had we got people arrested for blocking streets. We occupied the the chancellor's mansion. Um, we had a lot of actions around harassment, bullying, and discrimination, which are unfortunately really common in academia. Um, and then our strike threat, right? We were able to show a strong strike threat through majority participation in our SAV. Um, we also had a lot of external pressure we were able to get from politicians at the state level, putting pressure from the top down on the UC regents. Um, Adam, you want to talk about this? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the structure we have uh, is probably not 
un unsimilar to other unions. Uh, we have democratically elected bargaining teams for all of our different uh, units. Uh, and those are the folks who actually negotiate directly with the UC. We also, in all of our ground rules, fought to have open Zoom bargaining so that any member could attend. Um, so that was not always, uh, the university was not keen on that. And actually at the end stages of bargaining, when we moved to in-person, they actually tried to undermine that point quite a bit. Uh, so that was a little bit of a challenge, but we kept it open. And uh, the bargaining team and UC uh, would reach a tentative agreement and send it to membership to actually ratify. And so we set the timelines of those ratification votes uh, such that we were not keeping people out on strike longer than necessary, but that we were continuing to build power uh, during those votes. Outside the bargaining room, uh, almost more important than actually negotiating the language, members are shaping proposals at town halls and working groups. That's the structure we use to actually build proposals. And then uh, we had rallies and direct actions like we were talking about before to apply pressure on the UC. And even during the strike, we were doing things like turning away delivery trucks and things like that to keep the pressure up. Uh, and then we had the threat of a supermajority strike through our SAVs to show uh, that we could actually, at least on paper, get people to agree that a strike should happen. And then when we actually turned them out on the first day, the university, I think, was quite taken aback. They actually tried some 11th hour deals to buy off the non-student workers um, right before the strike on the eve of the strike. And then, yeah, at the end, we voted to ratify the contract. Uh, we had two separate ratification vote timelines, one for the postdocs and ARs and one for the graduate students. Often because the university could not get over some of the definitions of what it means to be a student employee, which was really infuriating. <laughs> Yeah, and you know we were really clear with membership. Uh, you know the 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 purpose of the strike is to support the bargaining table, not the other way around, right? So like, um, you know, everyone understood. I think that we don't win our good contract with the perfect language at, and the perfect arguments at the bargaining table. It's more about the power we built outside uh, through the strike that we could then spend that power at the bargaining table. Um, and so during the strike, we had uh, every campus, uh, we had multiple pickets on every campus. Our campuses are huge uh, and workers, it was important to our workers to picket near their work locations and also for us to really be visible and show that we were shutting campus down. Uh, we broke up into many different pickets on each campus. We had strike captains, that was our infrastructure for holding uh, each other accountable, for communicating, for decision making. Um, for seeing who was going to show up on the picket line, right? Oh, it's Friday. Okay, let's go home for the weekend. And, you know, okay, who's going to show up on Monday? Can we keep this going? Should we settle, right? Um, and so the strike captains are really important for that. Um, we had at the end of every day on every campus, we had um, debriefing meetings that any worker could come to to talk about what went well on the picket, what didn't go well, what's happening in bargaining, what's the plan for tomorrow, um, who should we, are there any particular administrator we should target with a direct action all that kind of stuff we had a ton of press and media outreach and we're really really lucky to be a huge local and have a you know a communications a statewide comm staff who are able to handle media inquiries and set up interviews and all of that stuff and we were really happy with all the news coverage that we got we thought the uc made the uc look pretty bad um and things we did on the picket line like you can imagine chants rallies marches uh, we typically have one big rally at the end of the day where all the picket lines on campus would converge on one location to really build, you know, build morale. 
Um, we also did things like chalk drawing parties. We did teach-ins where people would, uh, you know, educate each other about the labor movement. Um, we had uh, days where we had potlucks, right? And we had uh, people playing musical instruments, right? And so we tried to make uh, each picket really feel like a community. And I think we really succeeded on that. Something that was really important was uh, frequent bargaining updates so that workers understood like why they were still out on the picket line, what had happened that day. Um, and then also a giant get out the vote effort when it was time to vote to ratify the TA. And I meant to say this at the beginning, please interrupt with questions at any time. Feel free to save them for the end, but if you wanna just unmute or and type in the chat, we're, we're happy to answer questions as we go along. Adam? All right. Yeah, so as I alluded to before, uh, there were some challenges dealing with management during bargaining, uh, particularly toward the end. Uh, so the attempts to separate the units, uh, that is a common theme throughout, especially as I was referencing earlier in the 11th hour, the eve before the strike, they offered an almost too good deal to uh, the postdocs and academic researchers that we were worried we'd be out of moves. But actually they, they did refuse to give us the job security and raises that we wanted. Um, so we were able to withstand that and continue uh, with the strike. And just like we had to slow roll bargaining to line up our timelines, they countered by slow rolling bargaining during uh, the strike. So they really tried to just dig their heels in and say, we're going to only negotiate with these two units until these two contracts are done. We are not going to talk to these other two units, the grad student workers. Um, and it was really frustrating uh, dealing with that because we did want to all cross the finish line together. But unfortunately, that's just how it rolled out. Uh, and then during the uh, during our ratification timeline, we did extend that as long as we could uh, in good faith with our members to make sure that we were still out on the lines with the grad workers. Um, that was really important to postdocs who were still out on the line at that point. Um, and then we could continue to do picket support. So even if we weren't withholding labor for the entire day, maybe we spent half a day on the picket line, uh, play with that day is a day thing that the university loves to use. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, particularly for the grad workers, there was so much uh, in the management and academic rights sector, they really just did not want to understand that student workers are workers. And they really just, I, I Zach could talk more on exactly what the specifics were, but it was ridiculous. Uh, they, all the definitions felt crazy. Within organizing, uh, we had, challenges with communicating progress in real time because the people who were actually in the bargaining room were under a lot of like tight timelines and stress as well but making sure that we were reporting back to the pickets was important and also anytime there was a win we did need to communicate that uh, to keep morale and participation high because the, these were weeks long uh, out on the line it really was challenging um, and I think especially for the postdocs and student researchers we're kind of like inherently like i don't want to call it stockholm syndrome but we're all very like i identify with my work too much and so uh keeping people out on the line and out of the lab was a challenge uh and then bargaining strategy toward the end as well understanding like are we okay with taking a less aggressive win on like dependent care if we're able to get more on leaves things like that like who who do these help the most uh, and getting real feedback from members to make sure that we were making the right choice those were some of the challenges 
Zach, did you want to add anything about the student definition? Um, yeah, let me see if I can go back. Um, maybe not. Um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, the student first worker thing, it's kind of specific to us as a grad student worker union, uh, but the university loves to pretend that we basically are students and not workers, right? That when it's convenient for them that actually, oh, this is an academic issue, this is outside the purview of the contract. Oh, actually the research you do in your lab isn't work, right? Your stipend that we pay you as a salary is a gift, right? There's no expectation of work that you work for credits, not for money, right? And so these are all things we had to fight out uh, as student researchers fighting for a very first contract, they really threw everything they could at us to like delegitimize our work and to uh, try to make us view ourselves as students first and not workers first, right? Uh, you might not know this, but graduate students, uh, PhD students, after the first two years or so, you don't really take classes. You're just working in your laboratory. You're just working on your research. Um, and so it's not really accurate to call us students first. We're really workers who go to a school. Um, and they really tried to obscure that. And that, that was maybe the most frustrating thing that we faced as a student researchers uh, through through bargaining was this, this, this obstinance uh, from the university to actually acknowledge that the work we do is work. Um, so that was very frustrating. Um, so yeah, just to kind of sum up this part, like we had represented bargaining and organizing committees. We had escalating structure tasks that showed us what we were capable of and what work we still needed to do. We had contract working groups that uh, worked on specific issues like disability justice, uh, uh, international students, uh, childcare, all of these issues we, to engage workers as much as possible with issues that mattered to them. Um, we enforced the rules of the room, like Adam said, we were very, very, very strict about maintaining open bargaining that any worker could attend. Um, we had frequent bargaining updates and we collaborated with other unions uh, like the Teamsters on campus, we were able to turn away a ton of uh, Teamsters deliveries, um, like uh, UPS refused to deliver to campus for us, which was really cool. We were able to turn away deliveries of critical lab supplies that really hurt the university um, and just uh, basically coordinate with the local labor council um, and with other locals that work both on and off campus in the San Diego area to really uh, make this a solidaristic project, which was really cool. Um, and so just to kind of sum up, what did we actually win? And Adam, feel free to chime in. Um, we made zero concessions, which we're really proud of. There is not anything uh, from our previous contracts that we gave up. Whoops, keep doing that. So I'm with my mouse. So um, we only strengthened what we got. We did not trade anything in. We made no concessions. Very proud of that. Uh, we, had, we won massive raises for our workers, 25 to 80% over two and a half years. Something that was really cool is that the lowest paid workers are going to see the highest raises. So we were really able to raise the floor. Um, pay for in our units is very dependent on um, what department you're in and what graduate program you're a part of. And pay can really vary, unfortunately. Um, and so we were really we're really proud that we were able to boost the bottom the most, right? Um, so no longer are there going to be any TAs at the University of California who only make eight, 17, $18,000 a year. Now they're going to be making above 30K, which, you know, as we all know, is not a high salary. It's not enough. We would have liked more, uh, but we're really proud of the raises that we want. I think I personally am going to see like a 35% raise over the next two and a half years. Um, and I'm really excited for the first raise to kick in in April. Um, 
we first contract for student researchers. I had zero rights in lab uh, before this contract campaign and before this strike. I had a lot of rights going back 20 years through my TA union when I teach, but had zero rights at all in lab. Everything was unilateral university policy, and we have had a ton of issues that I could talk about forever with that. Um, and so I was really, really, I'm just so happy to have a union for the work that I spend most of my time doing. Um, it's like a kind of a dream come true, something I've been working on for years. So it's just an amazing thing to be a part of and to have. We won kind of like world-class, uh, unprecedented in academia, union uh, contract protections from bullying, harassment, and abuse, which are extremely common in academia, uh, unfortunately. And now we can actually, instead of the university taking a year to do an investigation to tell us that they're not going to do anything, we have really strong, very quick timelines to solve issues um, around uh, harassment and abuse. I see a hand up, uh, Cheryl. Jarrell, thank you. Can you um, go into either one of you all go into more detail of an example for the bullying, harassment, and abuse? Adam, go for it. I'm sure we both could. Uh, yeah, so academia is like second to the military in terms of like power differentials of having one individual determine like your how your work condition goes because you just work directly under one professor who kind of runs their lab like it's their kingdom. Uh, and so sometimes professors can decide, you know, actually, if you're committed to doing this work, if you're committed to like being successful in academia, you need to be working 80 hours a week, be in the lab. They like are constantly harassing them, checking in. How's this data? This isn't what I was expecting. Do better. Do it again. Do it again. Like, why are you why did i even hire you sometimes you even get like go back where you came from because of a lot of international so like it gets really bad and, oh, a lot of yeah. and they're, they're tethered right they're there till they drop dead yeah right. and they're not used to being checked so this right. language kind of provides like and they totally forgot what it was like when they was a student yes they do do that yeah all the things oh man. yeah yeah things like you know oh that's a nice you know oh like it would be a shame if i had to you know cancel your visa right it'd be a shame if you didn't work oh. this weekend and we had to revoke your visa and send you back overseas mm, wouldn't that suck and um, one of the one of the big power differentials in academia is that at every step you need a letter of recommendation from your supervisor to move on uh -huh. um you you simply can't get it like me as a grad student, I could never get a postdoc job without a recommendation letter from my PhD advisor. And so they can really hold that over your head. They know that, um, right? And so they know that they can treat you however they want. They can speak to you however they want before this contract uh, because um, your entire career rests in them writing you a good letter at the end. Um, and then also more straightforward abuse, uh, like sexual abuse, touching inappropriate comments to women, um, we, I have an example of a professor who held scissors out in front of a woman's hair and said, if you don't produce more data, if you don't have better ideas, I'm going to cut your hair off one-on-one um, -on -one in a meeting in his office. And so it ranges from, from kind of, uh, kind, it ranges from kind of abuse of power dynamics to like absolutely straight up sexual, you know, uh, and uh, gender abuse. So um yeah, it's it's unfortunately a huge problem, and that's one issue that our workers were extremely agitated over during this contract campaign. And we're really excited with the changes that we've won. And you know, now we're working on filing a bunch of grievances, convincing workers 
to come forward in an adversarial oh, yeah. grievance process against your supervisor. And so it, it's been really great to actually see what we've been able to change. Well, just listening to you all, I'm, I'm smiling and tearing up at the same time. Uh, just the next generation who's going to be able to take over the unions uh, all over. Um, you all have done an awesome job to start from the beginning and build it up. And it's just amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I, I'm speechless and, and happy and sad for you at the same time of what all you went through. But uh, thank you. Uh, continue to do your slide. Thank you. Appreciate Zach it. Zach and I love filing grievances, so we, yeah. we love using this new language. Um, yeah, uh, just uh, quickly finish up the slides and then we definitely want to take more questions. Um, yeah, we want expanded child care and dependent health care subsidies. Uh, we won really, again, unprecedented in academia language around uh, accessibility and access needs uh, for workers uh, with disabilities uh, to get uh, those interim. To, we basically won interim measures within five days for workers who are requesting accommodations, which is infinitely faster than the university's timeline for granting um, a unilateral policy for granting um, disability accommodations. We're really happy about that things like expanded leave, parking and transit, and a bunch of other stuff that we'd be happy to talk about if you're interested. But um, we are extremely proud of the contracts that we won. Uh, um, Adam, one more thing oh yeah, go for it. Uh, so for my job title postdocs, uh, it's pretty much like not annual, but kind of treated like an annual job. So like every year there's a decision point, like am I renewing your contract or not? And so related to the bullying and harassment and abuse provisions, a lot of power was going into like the decision point of rehiring us and we won longer job security and this anti-bullying language as well so we really think that will change the relationship of our members with the university and 66 percent of postdocs statewide are international so the visa thing is really important uh and like a really uh relevant example of how professors were often kind of bullying us so i just wanted to add that we can do next slide, yeah. Uh, so lessons we learned during our contract campaign, we learned many more than maybe what's on the slide, but just to keep it brief, uh, robust organizing structures across many job titles and work areas helped us to fuel high participation. Uh, coordinating our contract campaigns really did help us all win bigger than we could have won on our own. And making sure that the student researchers got recognition was really a big deal as well. That 17,000 more workers that were participating in our strike. Um, we also uh, worked together with multiple units to create kind of a sense of legitimacy and high energy around the strike. Um, you know, the university might use talking points if it was just students like, oh, it's just the student workers. Look, the students are being radical. But at this, on the flip side, the postdocs and academic researchers might be less likely to engage with the strike. And so I think we found a really nice balance of getting high participation and this like dissuading these uh, senses of illegitimacy around the strike by having all workers come together. And uh, the labor movement is really interesting to the press right now. We found out that they were very, very interested in talking about our strike. Uh, you see a new story about different labor movement stuff around the country all the time. So leveraging this interest uh, for your own gain is definitely good. And uh, being creative with your contract demands is also important. Um, winning things like those interim measures uh, around access needs was a really big deal for us. Winning this anti-bullying language was a big deal. 
Uh, we won a loose commitment that we think they will follow through on, that they will implement free transit passes to all workers in three years, possibly even beyond our units, uh, which is really exciting for us that we were part of creating that pressure to make that happen. Uh, so yeah, even though things aren't necessarily mandatory subjects of bargaining, you can greatly improve the quality of life of your workers if you get creative with your demands. Yeah, and something that maybe we should have stressed a little bit more throughout is just how much we shut the university down. Um, you know, we as grad workers and postdocs do the majority of the teaching and the research at the University of California. So there were thousands of classes that were canceled, labs shut down, buildings empty, um, you know, promises unfulfilled for grant deadlines for experiments, data not being collected, right? Um, we really were able to create this sense of urgency for the employer because we were able to really, really, really shut down our workplace. Um, and when I say our workplace, I mean 10 campuses throughout the entire state. Um, so that was just, you know, just to see that see our power in action was just so inspiring. Um, and so we have talked for a really long time. Um, and so, yeah, we're happy. I'll stop sharing my screen and um, we're happy to take some questions and have some discussion, whatever you guys uh, are interested in. So thank you. Thank you both so much. Um, this is a wonderful presentation, and I'm so incredibly proud um, of all of your wins through this um, contract. We do have a few raised hands. Let me track them down. Um, let's see. Um, I see oh, Krista. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much. I'm just um, throughout this whole thing, I'm just wondering how the heck did you get people on board with this? I mean, these last couple points, grant funding disappearing, data on labs not being collected. I mean, these are long-term endeavors. How did you how did you get the buy-in from these people? I, I know that the organizing has been happening for years. There was a lot of one-on-one -on -one building and bonding to get people to do this, but I'm just I'm I'm flabbergasted that people came through. Um, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm really, really pleased to hear that that happened. But I mean, what's, what is the, is it, and I'm intrigued also, you said, you know, you didn't use technology to reach out to people. It was all relationship. It was really one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, you had all these strike captains, well-known people in their departments. I mean, I'm just fascinated with this. And um, is it the collective energy uh, because uh, you're on a university campus? Is it because people are young? <laughs> Any any insight? All of it, probably. I mean, these these are huge things for people to give up. Um, you know, potential opportunities and career advancement in the future, money. Um, you know, so much more really than from my my department within the county. Um, it, it, I think it's just expressive that you guys were all everybody was at a breaking point. Uh, I can go first, and maybe Zach can fill in. Uh, so as Zach alluded to, this has like been in the works for a long time. And so we kind of were warning people indirectly for a long time, like if you know that you might have something due in November, maybe finish it in October or like make it known that it might not be done on time. Uh, that I think addressed a lot of concerns. Also, I mean, like it wasn't 100% participation. So some people did give in to those pressures for sure. Um, but, I think, yeah, just 
really talking to people, trying to address those concerns, having them make a plan, like what is your plan when the strike is about to happen to make sure that you aren't ruining your own career, but are like not cheating during the strike, right? So we really talk to people a lot about making a plan to withhold their labor. Yeah, and you know, something we talk about a lot with everyone organizing is framing the choice, right? Um, right. So like, you know, we're really deliberate about in our conversations, um, you know, we, you know, I kind of just lay it out on the table when I, when I would talk to workers, but like, so we all face the choice here, us individually and us collectively, like we can either do something really drastic and unprecedented and win really drastic and unprecedented things for ourselves to improve our lives. That's one option. The other option is we don't do that and things stay the same. Are you okay with how things are right now? Do you, how much do you pay in rent? Like, do you, is that okay? Like, do you, do you struggle with that? What about, you know, transportation? Um, and so really just agitating workers and using that agitation to fuel this choice that we each face, right? Um, of, you know, we each face a choice where either we can all make our lives better together or we can not do that, right? Um, and then the two other things I wanted to say is um, we had a ton of support from our international. Um, UAW hired so many staff members on every campus, both part-time, both like in-unit workers as part-time organi paid organizers um, and also full-time likely organizer staff. Um, they were able to really help us with like expertise, uh, just spending the time that this stuff takes while we're all still doing our best to do it all, but very busy in lab as well. Um, and also our strike fund, right? Um, workers knowing they would get $400 a week in strike pay, plus a little bit extra for the holidays. Um, we were really able to help workers kind of ease some of those fears, right? It wasn't full pay replacement, obviously, although unfortunately close for some of us grad workers um, at $400 a week. Uh, but yeah, the, that was able to cushion the blow a lot um, and it looked like a big legitimate thing. The other the last thing I want to say is this is a great question. I think it kind of gets at like how do we actually get people to do this? Um, it's that like years-long escalation and direct actions, showing workers that, hey, if we all show up at this administrator's office who's being super shitty uh, to some worker who's in a really tough spot and we win something for that worker, right? We had a postdoc who was illegally fired and was about to be deported while they were eight months pregnant. Uh, we got a few hundred people to show up outside the uh, the dean's office, and we didn't leave until the dean came out and talked to us and fixed things. Um, and we won, right? And that worker got their job and got to stay and got to keep their health care. When workers see wins on a small scale through collective action, it really gets their imagination going about what an even larger action could win, right? And so having direct actions around housing, around abuse and discrimination, um, around um, things like, uh, yeah, dismissals uh, and all of these other kind of issues that we face, right? And winning kind of small demands at the department level over the course of years really like trained our, our workforce to understand what direct action could accomplish so that it wasn't the first time they'd ever heard of something like walking off the job when it was time to strike. All right. Um, Bob, is your hand up? Hey, everybody. Um, 
I just wanted to thank you all for that. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I was absolutely blown away just listening to all this, and I've been following this, and I, this is very close to my heart. I'm basically uh, 20 years, I guess, ahead of Zach. I started grad school in 99 and finished my PhD in organic chemistry in 2005, and I was in, I was in grad school at both UCSD and State over that period of time, and uh, uh, organized the the card check for the gra the graduate TAs um, at state because we didn't have one yet uh, where they they did have one at UCSD though I didn't realize all the stuff about the different bargaining union units and that the researchers did not have a union and post you know all that so it was very interesting for me to listen to this but just in uh, you know listening to it I gotta say and and I was an activist and a socialist in what at the the entire time I was in uh, grad school but i can't even imagine a lot of this happening and i and again i was out in the world organizing you know anti-war immigrants rights doing all kinds of stuff even doing the you know the union organizing the union um but it was it still seems so far away um to get where you all got and i know there's been years of organizing and i've had friends that have been at ucsd and and have been part of that for years and it's but it's but it's an amazing story because back when i was um there and i was you know it, everything you say speaks to me i mean um i my my pi my um the professor that i worked under was a bully uh and i did work you know i was expected to be at work six seven days a week for you know 60 80 hours a week or whatever it was and that was not uncommon at all as as has been alluded to and it was brutal and plus he was verbally abusive you know and he would get stressed and there's tons of pressure on these professors too so it creates this feedback loop into the the way that they they put all of that onto their students and it becomes harassment and bullying and all that stuff and so putting that into this contract was amazing i you know idea because it everybody experienced there's very few people that I knew that didn't experience some level of it, though I felt like sometimes mine was worse. And and I fired back a lot. I yelled right back. I couldn't, I had an issue with unjustified authority as I'm sure most people do, but I, I totally understand why most people are not gonna yell back. But I, I used to yell back a lot because I couldn't, and I didn't, I was putting my, all this stuff at jeopardy the way that you talked about. But I, you know, some sometimes things just, <laughs> you can't help it, but, Anyway, listening to to all this, it's just it's an incredible story because it is historic. I mean, I couldn't afford to live in San Diego at all on the amount I was making. I took out a shitload of student loans to to survive, um, and I think we have to talk about the intervening period between you know 2005 and now. I mean, we have seen in the last 10 years the revival of strikes, teacher strikes all over the place. Of course, the building of new sectors of the economy that are trying to unionize, you know, like Amazon workers, like Starbucks workers, like, you know, this revival and 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 graduate student workers who have been organizing this whole period as well and, and building the 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 power that we now see uh was able to to have such an amazing historic success. So I just think there's, you know, Plus, and then tie that into the the protests for racial justice, all the social justice protests um, that we've seen since then. Um, immigrants' rights organizing in the mid two, you know, aughts, and then you know, it, it, um, marriage equality organized. All this stuff has happened since, 
And all of this, I think this gets to Krista's question a little bit too, or just, I mean, all of this has happened since, and it, it has built up. We did have, there is a lot of energy and, in, in campuses, and I experienced that in all kinds of other activism, but it didn't translate to labor organizing at the time necessarily. And so this is something that's building on not only bread and butter issues in labor organizing, but also this anti-discrimination, you know, bullying, harassment, all of this stuff is coming together. And it's a product of a lot of things. So it just goes to show that everything we do in our own unions, I'm in AFL 1931, American Federation of Teachers. I'm a community college professor these days for, you know, organic chemistry, but um, same kind of, you know, everything we do in our own unions, all these fights that happen both in the streets for social justice, racial justice, gender justice, uh, labor organizing, they all feed into this. We're at a point now where we're taking advantage of this in such a beautiful way. And there's going to be, there's going to be a lot more um, defeats than there will be success stories. But I think we build on the success stories. And I just mean in the moment right now, we're, we're coming out of a period of defeat after defeat after defeat. So we can't expect every single attempt to win, but we are at a period where I think we can start to win and we are seeing this. This is one amazing example of that. So thank you so much for sharing this. I could go on and on and talk about this just because I'm so excited about it, but I'm obviously I don't want to take up any more time. Appreciate you all being here and uh, sharing the story. Yeah, we, we really appreciate that. Um, yeah, and just, you know, one thing I wanted to say about that, you know, everything you were saying is like, yeah, there there is a lot of this energy People are familiar with unions in a way that maybe they weren't even five years ago, right? I think honestly, the Bernie Sanders campaign was really huge for awakening that consciousness in a lot of people. Um, I know at least people that I know personally, and um, you know, I guess I'll just say that like what we found and what was kind of frustrating for me at first was like that wasn't enough, right? Um, that you can't just like wait around for people to feel good about unions, and um, that it was like kind of that the atmosphere that we find ourselves in combined with the deep organizing and that was really the winning formula. Bob, I <laughs> I want to mirror everything that you just said because I too left the world of academia for all of those same reasons and a lot of the reasons that I heard in the earlier presentation. So um, I second everything Bob said. Um, and with with equal passion, um, Avery, your hands up. Yeah, thanks, Leslie. So I have two questions for you all, and they're very unrelated questions. Question number one: What role did the recent leadership changes? at the top of your international, the UAW United Auto Workers play. I know, hello? I know that in, in many, uh, real hesitancy to strike and to commit resources to striking. But it sounds like you got resources and I don't know if that's related to the fact that you got just recently had a situation where the UAW had elections and they never had these same sorts of uh, one member, one vote elections across all the country for their new leadership. So that's one question. What was the role of the new UAW leadership? Um, how did you see that helping or whatever? Second question, uh, we, and I'm in SEIU 221, and we are trying to combine racial and gender justice with worker justice. Sounds like you did that. And I just wanted to know what, 
it sounds like it was clearly it helped because you got so much buy-in through taking on harassment, which disproportionately impact is impact oppressed genders. But what but were there challenges? And how did you address the challenges? Were there people who said, well, let's not talk about these immigrants' issues or these uh, issues of people of color because it's just for a few people, not all of us. Just like, were there people who argued that, and and how did you respond? If so, uh, I'll try my stab at the UAW structure one first, and then Zach can fill in his interpretation, and then we'll come back to the question two. Uh, so one member, one vote did happen while we were organizing. Um, the election for the International Executive Board and uh, the president was ongoing, like kind of independent and in tandem with uh, our strike prep. Uh, I would say the biggest structural change that affected our strike was uh, raising the strike pay from 275 a week to 400 a week and having a week one strike pay. So like, as soon as the strike starts, we were all eligible for strike pay as long as we were out on the line. Um, so I would say those were the biggest important structural changes. Uh, I don't, I mean, yeah, Ray Curry has been on board with academic organizing. So in terms of like who's president, they were all kind of on board with what we're doing. They were excited about the new organizing and getting 17,000 new potential members. So we didn't really see much uh, issue there. I don't know if Zach has anything to add to that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, me and Adam's experience, you know, we're, you know, we were both on our respective bargaining teams. Um, we went to UAW convention, we're relatively plugged in to kind of the higher politics of UAW. And I think our experience is actually, we found that UAW leadership has been extremely supportive, um, both in their words and their actions. Like I said, they devoted millions of dollars in staff salary um, over many years to our locals to help us get ready for this strike. Uh, they sent people out from Detroit to help us register people for strike pay. Um, they UAW is dedicated to new organizing, which I think is great. Um, you know, you see that in academia, also in like uh, the electric car industry. Um, in gaming. And so actually, like, I think my experience with UAW incumbent leadership has been great. Um, you know, I think that they see us as lifelong, you know, they see us both as dues paying members that are great to have while we work, but they also uh, have expressed to us directly, right, that they really see uh, academic unions as kind of training a workforce of, of organizers who, you know, most of us won't stay in academia, Adam might, um, and to go off uh, into the wider workforce um, and to, you know, know what a union is and have been a part of a strike. And um, so, you know, we'll see, you know, the, the runoff elections for UAW officers are ongoing right now. But, um, you know, our experience with UAW has been extremely supportive with resources, especially. Um, and then, sorry, what was the second question again? It was about building a coalition of uh, racial justice and more differences. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so I think this is maybe a time I think graduate students uh, by kind of self-selection are particularly interested in these types of issues. So I think that helped us as a baseline. But, um, you know, I think this message of like the union is all of us. We're all in this together. Right. Um, you know, and also working in the same labs with people. Right. 
Um, I'm a white dude, right? I, I don't face a lot of the same uh, challenges that people of other genders and backgrounds face, right? I'm not an international student. I don't have a precarious visa. Um, but I think that just working alongside each other, right? I know it sounds so simple, but I think that's how we built solidarity, right? We all do similar work in the same labs um, and doesn't seem very fair to be treated differently. And, you know, I think there, I, I think there was a little bit of people pushing back on like, oh, let's just focus on wages. People care about wages, right? We did a bargaining survey and we found out that, you know, harassment and bullying is equally as important to people as wages, right? Um, and so actually asking members what they care about too, I think was really, really important in respecting that. Um, and also just maintaining this, you know, this line of solidarity, right? We're all in this together, um, you know, that we're fighting for the least of, you know, we're, we're, we're fighting for all of us, especially those of us that face the most oppression. Um, and that, right, to really have a respectful work environment to really feel like we all have dignity at work. That means, that means addressing all of these issues alongside economic issues. And so I was actually really, really heartened that that was actually less of an issue than I was anticipating this kind of like, do we focus on economics or do we focus on, you know, issues of uh, identity or whatever. And actually, I think I was really, really, really pleased to see that like workers in our unions really understand why both are so necessary and how, you know, it's an entwined struggle. It's all class struggle. Um, you know, we're, we're all fighting for a better workplace for ourselves. So um, yeah, maybe that sounded a little soapboxy, but it, it was truly inspiring to be part of. Yeah, I would add really quick, and then Avery, if we didn't answer all parts of your question, please chime in. Uh, the case that Zach was referring to earlier, where we had an international worker who was pregnant that was about to lose her work status and like her health insurance right as she was about to have a baby, is kind of like, it almost sounds hyperbolic, but it was really all those things at the same time. And I think because uh, a lot of folks are coming from countries where having a union would be like a criminal offense potentially uh, or like it's seriously considered corrupt uh, we are working to kind of overcome a lot of those anxieties and fears uh, with our workers and like that case was actually a really radicalizing moment for a lot of uh, international workers like oh the union actually can do something to protect us and is willing to like Put their necks out for us and that was a really like beautiful example of cross-unit coordination uh that postdoc would have probably lost her job if not for all the graduate students who came out and picketed in front of the building on both sides in support of her so that kind of stuff and just like really showing the commitment i think is a big deal for building that type of coalition as well doug Hi, everyone. I'm inspired by the, by the passion of the fellow activists on this panel here, and also of the sheer numbers that you all piled together for your strike. That's impressive. Um, we fought, you know, we kind of look at things from the outside, but I'm so glad I came to the Zoom call just to hear this, and I'm, I'm enthralled with it because I think that to have a copy of this Zoom call with your presentation to give to my coworkers, just to put the link in, you know, when I send an email out, I'm a shop steward. So to send the email out saying, you guys have got to see this, you know, if you miss this, you're doing yourself a disservice, take an hour 
you know, on your lunch break or watch it when you get home, send it home, you know, that kind of thing. Because to see your presentation, uh, the, the panels you were throwing up, I was just like, holy crap, you know, this is a hardcore, you know, UAW kick their ass strike, man. I mean, I was like, yeah, give them hell. Because, you know, I come from, a, my grandfather was a U.S. steel worker, you know, 40, I don't know, 44, 48 years, you know. And, and uh, so I'm listening to this going, this is what we need. We need union activity like this in America, you know. And I'm thinking, you guys have got great careers as union organizers alone. So, you know, I mean, I know you had incredible backing, you know, and that doesn't always happen, you know, but, uh, but to just your knowledge of, of what took place in the organizing and everything. And I, I'm so glad this is being recorded. I really want a copy of this <laughs> because when we go to recruit our members, I can say, just sit down. If you don't want to pay dues, just sit down and watch this and saw what happened. They went from the lowest paid to the highest paid for standing their ground. And all of these work rules that came in, not just the pay, the work rules, which are so important, the little tiny things that make all the difference in our jobs. And I had no idea that kind of stuff was going on in labs. I have a very close friend. Her husband's a retired UCSD lab professor. From um, He used to work with uh, germinology type things. Uh, plants, you know, things like that. But he's retired. I had no idea about lab work like this. This just blew me away. That reminds me of when doctors go uh, for their internships and they're doing 36-hour shifts where they're awake the whole time. I'm like, you're doing ER and critical care? You know, it's like some of these systems are so broken that you, gotta, you, you know, they have the money. It's not like they don't have the money to have, have people not working 80 hour shifts, you know what I mean? That's just insane. So um, anyway, thank you so much. And Bob, thank you for your fire, Bob, because I sat here and I was just like, give them hell, go off, yes, yes. You know, because we don't always get that, you know, uh, the work for the county uh, and my group is not even represented. We can't even go to labor management groups as an office assistant, because we're not in the contract. You know, so there's a lot of things that get squashed, even on a union side, but, you know, things can be worked on over time. You guys had a 10-year process for your strike. You know, that's what I want to install in people is like, these movements take, not only, they're not just one contract. You know, this, things take time. And that's when real progress, because you get momentum going, you build energy, you build numbers, literally. And we saw that with our last contract. We saw just waiting for a political change, what happened, you know, was pretty major. I, I never in a million years without my union, I never thought doing what I'm doing that I would have a, a somewhat livable, much more livable wage. I never ever thought I would go over a certain pay scale and I did. And it's still changing because of my union. And I have family members and friends outside of this they're friends, but they're, they're kind of jealous. And I'm like, well, you should have taken a job with a union, you know, come on. And, and we need to help the rest of the country. You guys are going to inspire the rest of the country with what you did, not just students. This will be a study in labor um, organizing, you know, in helping everything. I mean, 
I was I was really blown away at the presentation, you guys. Or I should say gals, whoever else is here, I don't know, but it, for the group, for, for your efforts. And it is commendable. You know, I come from an airline background and you talk about union activity. The airlines are thick with it. And I was there when United went on strike in 1980, what was it, 86? And they, I was at uh, training in, in Newark, not Newark, uh, LaGuardia for a non-union carrier. I was at New York Air. And the United women walked onto our training bus. I had just started. Are you gonna walk with us? And they had their signs. They walked right up onto our bus, the flight attendants. And it was amazing. And I didn't know anything about unions. I just knew my grandpa was at one, you know? And so as my life has progressed, I've realized the value. And, and you know, let's go after Starbucks. Let's go after uh, Bezos. You know, let's go after these people that are oppressing. You know, I, I used to ride the bus and I would have the Amazon people riding with me that couldn't afford a car. And they're working overtime and they're riding the bus. I mean, that's insane with the world's richest man. That's, that's just ludicrous. And he's like, you know, talking down to people all the time. Oh, are you lazy because you're not getting enough time in or you hurt yourself? To, what did you do to hurt yourself because you're lazy? You know, he talks to people like that. So I'm listening to this harassment stuff too in the labs. Thank you. Thank you, you guys. You just, you gave me some more fire, you know, because contract is over. But I need to stay green. I need to stay fresh with all of this. And, and I can carry it to others. So thank you for just taking the time and coming into the room. It's very, very, I'm very grateful for that. And um, like I said, Bob, thank you. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I'll shut up now, guys. Thank you for your time. All right. We have just a few minutes left. Um, Avery, did you have any other questions or comments? Well, no, I, I didn't. I just, that's okay. a leftover hand, but okay. I, I did have an announcement. Okay, hold off on your announcement. We have one other hand and then you can announce. All right, Krista? Uh, thank you. Just um, a follow-up. Um, I, I heard you say in your presentation that after the contract in 2018, you realized you didn't have any strike power, um, a credible strike uh, power. And so there was a lot of building over the last five years. But from the, from the last... Um, commentary, it sounds like there's been union action happening for 10 years. Is that correct? Yeah, so there's kind of multiple things intersecting. So, you know, basically the, the fight for our to unionize grad students at University of California started in like 1995. Okay. Um, and the wow. first contract for TAs wasn't until 1999, 2000. Okay. Um, and student researchers, right, just now, on Christmas 20, uh, 2022. Um, and that has been something that's really cool to talk with people who, uh, like UAW international reps who've been around this whole time, are uh, kind of our lead rep that we, uh, for UAW, his name's Mike, um, he was a founding member of RTA union and he's still here. And he actually got to be a part of our strike and like see student researchers win the union that we were denied. and. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, we're a high turnover workplace, right? Right. Um, even, um, even, you know, no one is staying 10 years. Right. That doesn't happen. Um, you know, PhDs keep getting longer, but it's still high turnover. Um, and so like, this is a project that's lasted much, much, much longer than any of us actually work here. Um, and that has been so cool. But, you know, just to tell you in 2018, when we ratified our contract, this was just before my time, um, statewide, we had less than 3,000 people vote in our TA ratification vote. 
Um, and that was due to really bad organizing, due to leadership in our union who didn't believe in one-to-one -one organizing, who didn't believe in mass power, who didn't believe in a mass strike threat, legitimately didn't think that was necessary. Um, and you know, we went from having less than 3,000 people to even vote on their own union contract to having 8,000 workers on strike in four years. And so I guess just to wrap up, to leave you with this, right, this is like an ongoing project that outlasts any of us that you know, our careers or our lives, whatever, right, this fight will continue, but just that like amazing things are possible if uh, if you can organize. So thank you guys so much for having us. Um, yeah, thank you, Avery, for reaching out, um, leaving a voicemail on our uh, union uh, phone number. And we're just, I'm really glad we were able to make this happen. It's been so great to hear from you guys. And thank you so much. I hope you do these with lots of groups. Is this a unusual thing or is this something that you guys are gonna be doing? Oh uh, yeah, we'd be happy. We'd be happy to do it. I've I've done this one other time last year. Um, but yeah, happy to. If you know anyone else who wants to hear from us, we're happy to do it. So okay. thank you guys again. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. Um, this has truly been an inspiring um, presentation. Um, thank you, Zach and Adam, for um, bringing all your information and the the finer details of what it took to um, win that contract. Um, I am, like I said, I'm incredibly proud of everything that you've accomplished. Um, having been on a bargaining uh, team, I know the, how grueling it was. Um, and so hearing how um, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed you still are after that process, <laughs> it's actually really inspiring. So thank you. Um, 